make an admission. I, I didn't listen to that song this week before we sang it today, and I really wish I had of, so maybe it wouldn't have wrecked me like it did. I hope that you got a lot out of that as well. Thank you, Grayson. Our worship team always does an amazing job, but man, that new song. Whew. All right, so we're going to be in Philippians 4 today, and I told you last week we've got a weird name for this sermon, so don't let that, don't let that mess you up, but if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, when I said Twisted Sisters last week, you probably immediately got the troubling vision of Dee Snyder in your face, you know, just makeup and hair and all the stuff, but we're not going to talk about Dee Snyder this morning, we're not going to talk about 80s or 90s rock, hair bands, I want us to talk about some sticky issues that are in the church. I want to preface the message today with a very negative statement. It probably has a negative sound, but I hope that this is a sobering statement. I hope that you'll take a moment and examine what I'm about to say, put it up against the, the worldview that you have, and then do with that what you need to. In our nation today, we live in an era of extreme connectivity. Would you all agree with that? We are more connected now than we've ever been. However, this has caused us to be more disconnected than at any time in our nation's history since the Civil War. We are so connected and yet we're disconnected. So how does that happen? It's because social media allows us to vent our frustrations and immediately see the frustrations of everyone else, which leads to a building anger that seems to be bubbling up all over our country and even in our churches. The church is designed to follow the Trinity, and that we are to be one, united in purpose and power, and working for one goal. However, the passage today talks about a squabble between, between two women in the church that had gotten to a level that it brought it to the attention of not only the church, but also the community and even the Apostle Paul. And it's key here to note that the Philippian church started from a women's prayer meeting. You see it in Acts 16, 11 through 15, where Lydia and some ladies were there. And, and this is where this happened. And we believe, uh, possibly, that Euodia and Syntyche, which is, if you don't know how to pronounce those, Euodia and Syntyche, uh, were possibly even part of that group. And now this fighting between church members has led to disunity in the church, as it always does. And so Paul attacked the issue head on and personally. And I'm going to make this statement, and I, this is... This is going to be an operating statement for us going forward, so either, you know, fair warning or whatever you want to say, if your disagreement is in public, you should expect it to be addressed in public. And I'm going to say that again because, I, I listen, and I'm going to expect our elders and our leaders, our staff members to hold my feet to the fire because I'm just telling you, this, Paul is giving us the instruction on how to deal with problems. If your disagreement is in public, you should expect it to be addressed in public. Now, the Bible calls for unity among believers. I can give you, I give you a ton of them, but Psalm 133.1, John 17, 30, uh, 23, and 1 Peter 3.8, for example. Paul called for unity in several of his epistles. Uh, Romans 12.5, 1 Corinthians 1.10, Ephesians 4.11-13, Colossians 3.13-14. and 14. And then he even addressed it here to the Philippian church. Let me read that one to you. In Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. So he's addressing unity, so it's obvious that it's a, it's a very important goal for us to work toward. So to give framework for the discussion, I, I really, I battled this. I thought about just getting up and just 
like fire hose, just completely just let it all out and not have any kind of structure. And, and I, I knew that wouldn't work. So here's what I've done. I want to give you five words. And we're going to walk through these five words. And we're going to talk about what is going on in this passage and how we can apply it to our lives. And those five words are confidence, controversy, contention, commission, and comfort. And I really want us to think long and hard about the issue of unity. And I pray that you would ask God to show you any disagreements you may have with fellow believers so you can bring unity to that situation and increase the unity of the body here at Westmobile. So if you would, let's stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7. And then I'm going to try to give some clarity as we break these down into these five words. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, speak today for your glory through your servant, for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So the first word is confidence. I love the way Paul introduces this. He, he, he comes right out of the gate, and, and instead of coming out with a stick that he's beating people with, he comes out with an elevation word. He comes out with a, a confidence. He says, uh, brothers. So, so here's what he does. He, he addresses the problem, and then he gives them a reminder, or before he, does, before he addresses the problem, he gives them a reminder of their purpose. And it's important sometimes, we, we're, listen, everybody listen, you're going to have problems, Whoever sold you the bill of goods that life is going to get perfect lied to you. Whoever told you that, hey, you just give your life to Jesus and then all your troubles go away, they lied to you. Whoever told you that if you just get this much money, your problems go away. If you can just get this relationship, if you can get this promotion, if you can reach this goal, all of your problems go away. They lied. As long as we have flesh, we're going to have problems. So Paul doesn't just come out swinging a stick. He, he tries to instill confidence in them first. He gives them this call of brothers, which is actually a combination of two Greek words, which, listen to this, don't miss this. This amazed me when I read it. Literally means united from the womb. It couldn't be more clear that our unity is commanded from the get-go, from the beginning. Above our differences in opinion, preference, color, etc. Listen to me, church. We are family. And now he's about to address their differences, so he begins by reminding them of their sameness. He calls them his joy and crown, meaning he's very proud of what they have done. Not of his works. He started the church. He planted the church. He gave them the gospel. And now look at what they've done. Notice that Paul's ministry is people-centered, not on his own fame. That's why he can think of the church at Philippi as a crown or a trophy. And then that word joy, Dr. Tony Evans says that word is better translated godly happiness. You see, happiness depends on one's resources in creation, but joy only depends on one's relationship in the creator. 
And then he tells them to stand firm in the, in the Lord. I love that word. That word stand firm is steko in the Greek. And it's the perfect tense of histemai, which means to stand, to make firm, to fix or establish. So it's, it's the perfect tense. It's the completion of standing when he says stand firm. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 is a very familiar passage where he says put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. He says our battle is not against flesh and blood, which is a great reminder when we're talking about unity. If, if, if I get mad at you, I need to remind myself that you're not my enemy, that it's, it's flesh and blood that's my enemy. Or it's, it's not flesh and blood, it's, it's these other things. Uh, you can't be my enemy if you're flesh and blood because it says here that flesh and blood is not our enemy. It says our battle is against rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And he says, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so you be able to prepare for the, uh, to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. There's that word again. So if we're going to stand firm, there's only one place we can stand, and that is on the word of God. Everything else in this world is shifting sands. Everything else, every, uh, every other uh, uh, mysticism, every other uh, political party, every other uh, system of government, every other idea you may have, every other confidence you may have in your, in your finances or your status or your stature, uh, everything else that you have, if you put your faith only in your physical well-being, y'all know this, we, we have frail bodies no matter how much you, and I, listen, I'm a proponent of exercise and eat right, that's good, but if you exercise and eat right and do all the right things, you can still have a disease. You can still have some uh, genetic problem that comes and just clips you out at an early, early age of life. We have to stand firm, and if we're going to stand firm, we've got to do it solely on the Word of God. So he begins by giving them confidence, and then watch what he does. He shifts quickly and moves to the controversy. Verses 2 and 3, he shifts, and he talks about these two ladies. Now, the contention between Euodia and Sintichi was so great, it was causing problems in the entire church. Now listen, let, let's, not get, let's not get to air and dirty laundry, but can anybody relate to that? Can you, when I said that, when I said these two ladies had a problem and their, pri their private problem was becoming a public issue in the whole church, did, did anybody just automatically think of an issue that you've experienced in church life? I think all of us would. I think if we've been in church for any matter of time, we know there have been problems that have come from two people squabbling, two people disagreeing, two people battling over uh, territory in the church, and, and just FYI, just kind of parenthetically, when we argue over stuff in the church, this is God's church, when we argue over stuff in the church, here's what we look like. Two roaches fighting over a crumb. No matter how important it is to you, in the grand scheme of God's kingdom, whatever it is that you're fighting with a brother and sister over, if it's not a, a, a solid theological concept that is no... Uh, there's no gray areas, black and white, theologically. This is, how, this is what the Bible says. If we're squabbling over a position, a, a title, a, a chair, a, a carpet color, a temperature, a music style, listen to me, we're roaches fighting over crumbs, and we're missing the purpose that God has put us here for. We don't know what the issue was, only that it had gotten so bad that everybody knew about it, even got to Paul who was in chains in a Roman prison. Now listen, what I'm telling you is if this was a bone of contention, it was a big one. And actually, I, I, I did some research this week and actually found a picture of the bone of contention between these two ladies. Peyton, can you put that up there? 
tongue firmly in cheek. That's not really the, anyway. So we can surmise that at some point these ladies got along. Because Paul says this, they have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. So how do we get from they are contending alongside the great apostle to their argument has gotten so disruptive that it has reached the level that he had to write a letter. Listen, it's not like today where we just fire off an email or we shoot out a text. Paul had to sit down. He had to get somebody to write for him probably because of his vision. And he had to write, he had to dictate this letter. And in this letter to the church, in this letter, this epistle to the Philippian church, their disagreement had to get in the letter. That's how bad things had gotten. I do want to take just a second. I want to sort of step out of what we've been talking about because I think it's key to note here that Paul did not belittle or diminish these women in the church. But rather he refers to them as co-workers. I want you to underline that. That that word is a combination of two Greek words, son meaning together and ergon meaning to work or to toil or to labor. So they were co-laborers, co-toilers. They worked together. They toiled together. They labored together. They were referred to as partners in ministry, not subordinates. He didn't refer to them as maids. He didn't refer to them as second-class citizens. He called them co-workers. As a point of theological clarity, I want to say that just because the Bible says women can't hold certain offices like pastor or elder, and that's 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 6, that does not mean that women aren't equally valuable members of the team as we serve Christ. We've gotten to this mentality in some places in our churches where we think that women are lesser. They're not. We have the same Holy Spirit who gives us all the same spiritual gifts, but we use those gifts in different avenues. We have different roles in which to use those gifts that God has given us. Now, there's a great piece of wisdom that Paul gives his young protege Timothy in his second letter to him that would help us here also. And by the way, just think about this. Philippians was written a few years before 2 Timothy, so maybe Paul even had this issue in mind when he wrote Timothy. But here's what he says in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To please the recruiter, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of everyday life. Now think about that. Euodia and Sintichi are co-workers. They are co-soldiers. They are, they are partners in the ministry, partners in the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, a good soldier doesn't get wrapped up in the concerns of everyday life. Why? Because they are first and foremost a soldier. Stop worrying about what you saw on the view and clean your rifle and polish your boots and press your uniform and practice your drills. Stop worrying about what some article in the newspaper said that your friend uh, shared on Facebook and get to the business of preparing for battle. The enemy wants to distract us with all this useless nonsense on social media and in the news. Listen to me. I'm going to say it again. This is going to get repetitive until we get better. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, all of those people, they're not trying to help you. They're trying to get you to pay for advertisement. The more viewers they get, the more money they can charge for all these kooky commercials that you see on there, selling shamwows and indestructible sunglasses and and all this other stuff. They're not there to help you. They're there to help them. They're there to make money. All these articles, listen, if you, there's, a, there's a, a Netflix documentary uh, about social media. I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm scared to watch it. <laughs> I've heard about it. I'm scared to watch it because I think I may delete everything. 
But they're in the business of trying to condition you that you have to be drawn like Pavlov's dog. Ooh, I got a little notification. I got to click on it and see what it is. They're not trying to help you. They're not trying to build unity. Listen to me this. They're also not trying to build the kingdom of Christ. If we're going to be a good soldier, we've got to get our minds and our eyes off of this useless, piddly stuff that's going on around us and keep our eyes on the mission of the gospel. So Paul urges these two ladies to agree in the Lord and end their feud. Agree in the Lord is also translated live in harmony in the New American Standard Bible. And it's from a word that means be of one mind, one accord, think the same thing. Romans 15, 5, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. There's so many places where this word is used. Uh, there's a man by the name of Rupertus Meldinius, who was a very like, obscure German Lutheran theologian of the 17th century. He didn't say a lot, but listen, he said something that's really critical for us to understand. Here's his quote. If we might keep in necessary things unity, in unnecessary things freedom, and in both charity, our affairs would certainly be in the best condition. In necessary things unity, in unnecessary things freedom, and in both charity or love. Philip Schaff, a 19th century church historian, calls that saying, the watchword of Christian peacemakers. That's, now listen, you're talking about some obscure Lutheran German theologian writer wrote that statement, not much else, and this guy in the 19th century said that's the watchword of Christian peacemakers. I do want to warn you of two things. Number one, your pastor is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. There's a, there's a stark difference. Peacemakers hurt more people's feelings, but they get more done. And that's why that's what I am that and I'm kind of a jerk. All right. Um, just, you know, truth in advertising. So he begins by giving them confidence. Then he talks about the controversy. And now let's talk about contention. As followers of Christ, we're working with one another as the redeemed, not against one another for recognition. Let's say that again. We are working with one another as the redeemed, not against one another for our recognition. We saw a few weeks ago in Philippians 3.10 that our, our goal should be like Paul's to know him, talking about Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Whenever contention arises in the body of Christ, it's helpful to remind ourselves that our brothers and sisters are not the enemies. We talked about a while ago. But our enemy can use personal conflicts to derail us in our ministry. He, take away, he can take away from our mission by derailing us with these uh, interpersonal squabbles. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he may devour. There can be some in the church who can't contend because they're not saved. And then Jesus warns about that in John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of liars. Now, listen, that's Jesus talking to the church. I want to remind you of this. Jesus went after the church a whole lot more than he went after anybody else. You know why? Because we're supposed to know better. You know why lost people act like lost people? What I want to know is why do church people act like lost people? Paul also gives clear guidance on how to determine if our leaders are contending or not. In Galatians 1, 8 and 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you any gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be upon him. 
As we've said before and say again now, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on. He said it twice. Why? Because he's trying to emphasize the point that if somebody comes in and tries to tell you some different gospel, watch me, kind of like if you just give me money, God will bless you. Kind of like if you still have problems, you just don't have enough faith. Kind of like if, you see where I'm going with that? This prosperity gospel is not the gospel. And Paul says, if anybody does that, let a curse be on them. Paul also warns that sometimes our worst enemy can be most surprising. Listen to this in Romans 7, 21 and 23. He says, so I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. I didn't hear any amens on that. Is it just me and Paul? Doggone it. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin. There's a Christian rapper named Andy Minio, and he had a song a few years ago called, years ago called You Can't Stop Me. One of my favorite lines was kind of a tagline in the chorus, and it said, my biggest enemy is me, and even I can't stop me. So I, I got a, I, I'm a visual learner. Anybody else a visual learner? All right, so I got some visuals. Here's, I'm going I'm to show you what this looks like. All right, Peyton, go ahead first. All right, so let's see who's really been ruining my life. All right. See, if the issue between these two women had been a theological issue, Paul would have addressed that and cleared things up. But there was not a theological misunderstanding because Paul didn't address it. He said, I want you two to agree in the Lord. Listen, that means they weren't agreeing at all. He's not telling them to agree. He's telling them to agree in the Lord. So what he's telling them and what he's telling us, church, is that we can have disagreements in the world. We can have disagreements in our football team. We can have disagreements in our hobbies. We can have disagreements in our work life. But look at me. When we get in the church, when we get in the Word, when we get into the body of Christ, when we join a church, we are joining and we are saying that we will agree in the Lord. Even if that's the only place we can agree, we will agree in the Lord. We would do well to focus more on the things on which we agree rather than the things on which we disagree. And I'm going to tell you something else. That's another, I hate to keep harping on this, but that's another detriment to 24-hour news and social media. They want to focus on the things we disagree on. And they want to stir up, fester up. Can, I, can, anybody, just, can anybody relate to that? That you're watching your favorite, whichever one it is, you're watching your favorite show, uh, favorite news organization, and you're sitting there and you just start, man, you want to, next thing you know, you just want to go punch somebody from that other party. Now, that person's not your enemy, church. The adversary is still your enemy. The enemy is still your enemy because he is working in and through these other people, these other things, these other issues to try to get us to be ununified so that we can't share with one another in the mission. So we see he gave confidence. He talked about the controversy. We've talked about contention. Now let's talk about commission. Verses 4 and 5. Let me just remind you of those. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Paul quickly shifts from talking about the issue that's bringing disunity and shifts the focus back on our mission as believers. People will know us by how we live, especially how we live in the midst of troubles, and how we live will directly impact how they see Jesus. It's really hard to stay angry with someone that Jesus has told you to love. And it's really hard to stay angry with someone when that's not how Jesus told you to live. 
Paul tells them to rejoice, and the implication to, is to rejoice even when you don't agree. See, I can love Jeremy even if he roots for a different team. <laughs> Does that make sense? I can, I can love Madison and Trey even though they are interested in things very different. from They like Dungeons and Dragons and they like video games and that's not my jam. But rather than me find things to disagree with them on, I find things to agree with them on. Does that make sense? We, as the body of Christ, represent Christ. Listen, there, there's an old saying, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. Or you may be the only Bible some people ever read. Or you may be the only sermon some people ever hear. How you live your life is critical on how people understand the gospel, how people come to know Christ and think about Christ, how people think of the church. You know why people have such a negative opinion of the church? Listen, this is going to blow your mind. Because we've earned it. We've earned the negative attention and the negative opinion people have of us because we are like Euodia and Sintichi. We squabble over stuff that doesn't mean a hill of beans. Paul tells them to rejoice always. He tells us to rejoice, not to riot, and to show graciousness, not grossness. And listen, that's not a political statement. This, don't, I'm not talking about what we're seeing on the news now. Us as Christians, we do stuff just as bad or worse than what you're seeing from Antifa. Our riots may not literally burn down buildings, but look at me, church. Our riots burn down people because we squabble and we bicker and we fight over stuff that is meaningless. Can I just tell you something? Listen, everybody get me. Jesus doesn't care what color we paint the walls. Jesus doesn't care what color we, we put carpet or floors or seats or, or what, what lighting we use or what songs we sing. As long, as long as they are theologically sound to and about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's not concerned with that. The enemy is, and so the enemy comes in and he plants this little seed in your mind and this little seed in your mind, and he gets y'all to start squabbling and fighting about it, and then he's broken the unity, he's put a bad reputation out for lost people, he's run people out of the fellowship, and that is detrimental to the church. So this passage, these two verses especially, made me ask myself, what if I were known more for my graciousness than for my opinions? There's an old hymn by a Louisiana boy, B.B. McKinney. And the title of that old hymn is, Let Others See Jesus in You. And, and here's one of the verses. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Let others see Jesus in you. And the chorus says, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. You see, we can never let our contentions distract us from our commission. So he gives us confidence, he talks about the controversy, the contention, he talks about our commission, and then Paul wraps it up by giving them comfort. What a great, it's like Paul was trying to write sermons for me. You know, he's like, all right, here we're going to deal with all this stuff, Kevin, but listen, don't, don't leave swinging a stick, give comfort. And we're going to get into these verses again next week, spoiler alert, <laughs> we're going to get back into these verses next week because there's just too much here to deal with, but verses 6 and 7 
Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, look at the powerful thought that he leaves them with after discussing a disagreement in the body. So it would have been really easy for Paul just to continue to wail away at Euodia and Syntyche. But you know what would happen then? He would be part of the problem. He would be continuing to fester and stir that, content, that contention, that problem, that controversy. Look what he did, church. He said, here is a problem. Here's how we're going to deal with it. I want you to agree in the Lord. Now rejoice. Is, am I the only one that sometimes you have to just like step outside of your own body and say, hey, Kev, come on, man, let's rejoice. Anybody else? You get to a point where you just feel like life is beating you down. You don't feel good physically. You have emotional issues. You have money issues. You have relational issues. You have uh, health issues. And you just get worn down. And you get beat down. And sometimes we need to step outside of ourselves and say, Rejoice! This is temporary. No matter how bad you have it, it's temporary. Listen, boot camp was awful. But when they told me it was only eight weeks, I'm like, I can stand on my head for eight weeks. That's the problem with the, 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 the quarantine. It just keeps going. I saw a thing the other day that said, welcome to day 178 of 15 days to flatten the curve. We have to remind ourselves that this is temporary. This too shall pass. There will be a day when this is not the way it is. There will be a time when we have moved past this and our lives are better. Stop focusing on how bad it is now or how bad it's going to be tomorrow. Listen, tomorrow has enough worry of its own, the Bible says. And then it's also saying that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. So if tomorrow has enough worry of its own, let it deal with its own self. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to get brand new mercies fresh out of the cellophane. Why am I worrying about stuff that may not happen? Why am I stressing over something that may not happen? Rejoice. Why am I worried about this contentious relationship? You know why? Because I won't go deal with it. I won't go address it. Here's what he tells them. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Be thankful and ask God and he will give you the peace of Jesus Christ that will comfort your hearts. What better comfort could we ask for than to know that God will give us peace? See, our tendency is to skid out of control when we forget that God is still in control. So there it is. Confidence, controversy, contention, commission, and comfort. Here's kind of the linchpin statement of this whole sermon, this whole message. And now you're all thinking, man, you could have got that 30 minutes ago. Saved us some time. It wouldn't have made sense 30 minutes ago. Based on everything we just talked about, I want you to hear this statement. A divided church cannot effectively reach a dying community. A divided church cannot effectively reach a dying community. Paul's already told us in Philippians 2 to think the same way, to have the same love, to share the same feelings, to focus on one goal. In Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, the author there says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. And then we get to the verse that we've all heard quoted a million times. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some in the King James Version. But why don't we talk about those other two verses? Y'all listen to me. You have a lot easier time, convi- and I'm going to read it from the Hallman. You have a lot easier time convincing people to not stay away from our worship meetings as some habitually do 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near? You have a lot easier time selling that verse when you do the first two. Hold to confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that no music minister, no music program, no preacher, no pastor, no speaker, no staff, no building, no audiovisual spectacular special effects, none of that can do anything compared to what this verse is telling us to do. Hold to the confession of our hope without wavering and be concerned about one another to promote love and good works. Listen to me. You want Westmobile to blow the doors off? You want us to just bust at the seams? You want us to have to build buildings in a year or two? Promote love and good works. Ephesians 4.31, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Let me just remind you, Paul is not writing that letter to a prison. He's not writing that letter to a school board. He's not writing that letter to a government. Everybody listen to me. He wrote it to a church. So the invitation today is pretty simple. As always, and, and I'm just here's another one. You can hold my feet to the fire. We are never going to have a service here where somebody's not going to get an opportunity to give their life to Christ, to make a public profession of faith in Christ. So if you need to come to Christ, if you need to rededicate your life, we are here for that. However, primarily today's invitation is a little different. I'm asking you today, and maybe you can't do it in this service, that's fine. But I'm asking you today to bury any hatchets you may have. I'm asking you today, listen, from, from the heart, from the depths of my heart, I want you to hear me. I'm asking each one of you today to examine yourself. And I'm asking you to see if there's any relationship in your life that is strained or that has been broken over something that honestly, now looking back at it, if you, if you, had, if you could get pride killed, killed off enough to really address it, you would say that was stupid for me to argue over that. That's dumb for us to be angry over that. I should have put that to bed years ago. Here, here's what happens. It's, it's like, a, a, it's like a, a splinter. Anybody ever had a splinter? You ever had one that got in there and got like under the skin? You kind of got to where it didn't hurt as much or you got busy? Uh, we, were, we were getting ready for a Christmas musical at Southside one year, and we were moving all this uh, we set up these big uh, posts, and we put like stages above our back doors, behind the the, the auditorium, behind the uh, stage, so we could have a little scene set up up there. And as I was moving these boards, I ran a, a uh, it was a four by four, and a big long piece stabbed into my hand and broke off. And I tried to get it, and I couldn't. And to be honest, I had too much to do. I'm like, I I'll get it later. And so I finished what I was doing, and I'm, I'm getting everything ready. Well, a couple days later, that thing starts hurting. It starts bothering me, and I, I'm, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, there's something in there. And so I did what everybody does. I, I called the OBGYN. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I called April, <laughs> and I said, hey, was one of your, would one of your nurses look at my hand and just see, like, if there's some way they can help me get this out? I really don't want to go to the emergency room. There was a bunch of flu and stomach bugs going around. I said, I just want them to look at it. If I need to go to the doctor, I'll go, but just let them look at it for me. I ended up having to get that thing cut out, and, and it, was, it was borderline infected. There was like a little thing there. They were like, here, this, this was going to turn into something really bad. You see, these arguments can be like that. These little personal disagreements like you Odie and Sintich you had, I promise you, it didn't start with a Pier 6 brawl. It started with, now, I'm going to be, listen, ladies, you, this ain't sexist. This is true. 
I can't believe she wore those sandals. It may have been over something like that. You know, we had a potluck the other night, and I brought a casserole, and she didn't eat one bite of it. Do you all understand where I'm going with that? I'm telling you, they didn't have a theological problem. Or Paul would have said, here's the answer to that theological problem. They had a personal problem. And it probably arose from something like that splinter. It's just a little splinter that got in and it got to where it wasn't even that big a deal until it started getting infected and then it became a big deal. And theirs became a very big deal and it became something that was not only an infection between them but it was an infection between the body of Christ to the point that the community knew about it. To the point that the Apostle Paul heard about it in Roman prison miles and miles away. So I'm asking you today to look in your life, look at every relationship that you have and see if there's any little splinter that you let get infected. See if there's any little problem that you let turn into a mountain instead of a molehill. I want you to take the time today to see if there's any hatchet that you need to bury, especially within our church. For us to be what God demands and deserves, we've got to let go of our pride and take hold of our cross. If you would stand and join me. We're going to talk, like I said, this is going to be a, a different invitation. It's going to be very brief. I just want you to examine your life. I want you to examine your relationships, and I want you to be honest with yourself. And if there's a personal relationship, if there's some kind of an interpersonal squabble that's going on, I want you to take today, dedicate yourself today. Listen to me. Everybody listen to me. I'm not going to bed tonight until I get this fixed. Now, Paul would say this, in as much as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to make that relationship perfect. What I'm asking you is to humble yourself and go try to make it the best it can be. In as much as it is up to you, I'm asking you to live at peace with everyone, especially those that are part of our body here at Westmobile. So if you're here today you don't know Christ, you want to come talk about that, we would love to tell you how to commit your life fully to Christ. If you're here and you don't know, you know Christ, but you need to just get some stuff cleaned up, we, we have counselors up here, staff members who would love to be able to talk to you about that. But if you have a hatchet to bury this morning, I'm begging you, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Make sure that before this day is over, you have settled that problem. So if you need counseling, if you need prayer, if you need to talk, come now. We're not going to wait long, but while we wait, you come.